And so I grew up loving and <clears throat> delighting in the stories of Jesus. I grew up loving the church and being a part of it. I grew up passionate about Jesus and making sure that other people got to know him. I was so excited by the gift that I have had to grow up knowing Jesus and walking with him. But somewhere along the way, I missed something significant. It was probably there, and maybe I just missed it somewhere over the course of time, but I always grew up knowing that Jesus loved me, he died for me, he redeemed me, he saved me, but somehow I grew up believing that it was up to me to live the Christian life in my own strength. Somehow I grew up knowing that, uh, feeling like it was up to me to be holy, it was up to me to resist all temptation, it was up to me to uh, make the impact that God was calling me to make in the world in and of myself. And the weight of this so often felt really crushing. It felt overwhelming to try and do and be all the things that I needed to be. And I think over the course of time, I realized I'm just not enough. Because no matter how hard I pushed or how hard I worked, I couldn't resist all temptation. I couldn't be holy as God is holy. No matter how hard I pushed, I couldn't bring about the changes within my soul or the life of the church or the world around me in the way that I felt like Jesus was calling me to. This led to a really deep sense of discouragement within my soul. And for a space of time, I really, I think, distanced myself from intimacy with Jesus because I really felt like God looked at me as a significant disappointment. I felt like when God looked down at me, what he just felt was like that I was blowing it, that I was missing so much of what what he wanted or intended for me because I just wasn't strong enough or capable enough. I remember feeling this sense of shame and so often just feel like I didn't really want to get too close to God or really hear from him because after all, what would God really want to say to me? I wasn't successful enough, I wasn't accomplishing the things that he wanted, I wasn't living life in the fullness of the way he described in the scriptures, so why would he want to speak to me? And this morning, maybe for some of us, you can identify. Maybe this morning you're here, and maybe you did something that I did. I never would have said this out loud, but somewhere deep in my heart, I think I felt so often like God was a really hard master who demanded so much of me, but wouldn't do anything to help me. Maybe this morning as you sit here, you feel like as God looks at you and sees you, he sees you as a disappointment. Maybe you feel a sense of shame or inadequacy about the ways that you've been unable to overcome particular struggles with sin or to make the impact in the world that you believe that God is calling you to make. Maybe on the inside, you're distancing yourself from your relationship with Jesus because you just feel inadequate. As you know, over the course of the last number of weeks, we've been talking together about who we are and who we are called to be as a church. Jesus has called us to make him known throughout this region and this space and in the world. We are called to make Jesus known to every single part and every single aspect of who we are so that we live our lives flourishing and abiding in him. We are called to make him known to everyone everywhere as we go about the life that Jesus has given to us and around the world as he opens up opportunities for us to do this as well. We've talked about the fact that there are a couple of significant keys that we need to be able to do this well. And two weeks ago, we talked about this idea that we can only do this well as we have a right understanding of who we are as the church. That each and every one of us, every man and woman and child, is an empowered minister of the gospel. That we are a kingdom of priests. That every one of us is sent as his minister to our families and our workplaces and the places where we engage in recreation. That all of us are these ministers. And today I want to talk about the second key to us accomplishing this well. And it was the key in my life to being able to see God rightly and myself rightly and to serve in his strength and not my own. And so let's pray together as we start off this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us out of darkness into the wonder of your light. We thank you that you haven't left us on our own to figure this out. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come 
Holy Spirit, would you breathe a fresh and a newness into our souls and our beings? We want to see you and to know you more fully. Would you guide us and lead us to understand you and walk with you faithfully, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, for many years I struggled with this feeling like I had to live the Christian life in my own strength and it led to unhealthy and unholy places. But then as I went off to college, I began to hear and to know and to learn and understand more about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I began to understand there was so much more that God intended for me that I wasn't meant to live the Christian life in my own strength, but it's meant to be the Spirit of God within me who equips me and empowers me and strengthens me to live the life that God intends for me. And I can see over the course of my life this really interesting journey that he took me across over decades to get to know and pursue more of the fullness of the life of the Spirit of God. And in the seasons of life where I pursued the Holy Spirit well and got to know him more and really pushed in, I experienced an increasing sense of peace and confidence and freedom and hope and joy. And in any seasons where I kind of pulled back a bit from the sense of the Spirit of God, I felt anxiety and frustration and tension and feelings of guilt and inadequacy. And the second key that we need as a church to live and to walk faithfully into the fullness of who Jesus has called us to be, to make him known to everyone everywhere, is that we would live and abide in the fullness of the life of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to do, again, we can never accomplish this in one message, so we're going to take five messages to look a bit at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And today's kind of this introductory sort of a message where we'll just look at the idea of who is the Holy Spirit together to help us to move forward and begin this conversation together. And so who is the Holy Spirit? Again, the scriptures are very clear from start to finish that the Holy Spirit is God, fully and utterly God. We see this referred to all over the place in all kinds of different passages. For example, we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In this idea, it is the Lord who is the Spirit, it's the Spirit who is the Lord. Jesus, again, affirms this idea to us when Jesus says that we are to baptize one another in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, creating for us this dynamic picture of what it, what it looks like to be God. In countless passages, we see the Holy Spirit referred to as God, as the Lord, and the early church described him this way. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. And as Christians, we recognize that there is this beautiful mystery that takes place at the very center of who God is. That God is one, there is only one God, but God expresses himself in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity that we know and experience and celebrate together. We've sung about this already this morning. And the Holy Spirit is not some kind of junior member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not just a force or an idea, but he is fully and utterly God. And sometimes we've given into this false belief about who the Holy Spirit is. Sometimes we felt like he's kind of the, the strange one or the one who's out of control or the one who's uber mysterious in the Godhead. But the Holy Spirit is fully God in the sense that, again, we need to recognize that we can never control any part of God. And because our minds are limited, we can never fully comprehend the wonder of all of who he is, and there is mystery about all of who God is. And sometimes as we think about God, we can identify really easily with Jesus. Because again, we've read about him in the Gospels, we understand that he knows what it feels like to be us. And so maybe we gravitate towards an understanding of Christ or Jesus in our interaction with him. And maybe the Holy Spirit seems a bit mysterious or unsure 
or perhaps we're even a bit frightened of the Holy Spirit. And if it's helpful, maybe it's good to remember that sometimes the scriptures refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit would never act in a way that's contrary to the character of Christ or to the character of the Father. God always works together in perfect and in utter unity. There is no disunity within what God desires or how he acts or interacts with us. And there's no reason and there's no need for an unhealthy or an unholy fear of the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of Christ present and active in us and with us. So the Holy Spirit is fully God, but He's also a personal being. This is why we describe the Holy Spirit as Him rather than it. The Holy Spirit is not just an impersonal force or the power of God. The Holy Spirit is a personal being. He expresses Himself in all kinds of different aspects of personality throughout the Scripture. I'll just give you a few of them here. The Holy Spirit guides us. I think there's so many beautiful pictures of this in the scriptures. I think my favorite one is in the Old Testament where the people are walking through the wilderness and every day there's a pillar of cloud that leads them and a pillar of fire at night. This is kind of a manifestation, a tangible vision of what the Holy Spirit is like leading and guiding the people. The Holy Spirit guides us, but he also convicts us. I think we see some great pictures of this. For example, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter is preaching, the crowd is being described as they're just sort of cut through to the heart. They realize they are wrong and that they need Jesus. They pursue him, and 5,000 of them give their life to Jesus that day. That's a movement and work of the Holy Spirit to bring this kind of conviction. He intercedes for us. He calls Again, we see some beautiful pictures of this. Again, in the book of Acts, we see Paul and Barnabas being set apart by the Holy Spirit for a movement and for ministry to go throughout the known world to preach the truth of who Jesus is. We see that the Holy Spirit can be angered. He can be grieved. He speaks. He searches our hearts. He expresses all this idea of a dynamic personality as we engage with him. And throughout history, all the people of God have been passionate to pursue and to know and experience more of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. For example, Basil the Great uh, was a church leader many, many, many years ago, about 1,700 years ago. And in the year 374, he wrote a book on the Holy Spirit. And he gives a beautiful description of who the Holy Spirit is that I've kind of updated some of the language for us uh, just so we can engage with it more freely. Basil describes the Holy Spirit to us like this. When we think of the Holy Spirit, we are forced to expand our minds as far as we can. To think of perfect intelligence, of infinite power, of an unlimited magnitude, he can't be measured by times or even ages. He is generous in all of his works. Everything that needs to be set right turns towards him, and everything that is right and virtuous reaches for him as if watered by his inspiring presence as the Holy Spirit helps everything along to reach its greatest created potential. He makes all things perfect, but he needs nothing. He needs nothing, but he supplies life to everything. He is already completely full. He illuminates the truth to our minds. He is personally present with each of us, but also wholly present everywhere to everyone at all times. Basil goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit as being this, uh, like the picture of the sun on a really beautiful warm day. You know that feeling when you're out in the sun on a warm day and you just feel like it's shining on you just for you and you have this personal experience of warmth and just joy to be out in the sun. Basil describes to us the Holy Spirit is like that. The Holy Spirit is powerful and strong enough that he meets with every single one of us uniquely, illuminating us, warming our souls from the inside out, but he's also powerful enough that he radiates over all things and all time, creating and sustaining life and drawing all things to their rightful conclusion. 
He describes the idea that the Holy Spirit is delighted in by everyone who experiences him. I love that concept. The Holy Spirit is just delighted in by all who get to experience him. How could we not want more of the Holy Spirit? How could we not want to be more warmed from the inside? How could we not want more of the illumination of our hearts and our minds and our souls? How could we not want more of someone who is utterly infinite and yet meets each one of us uniquely and individually? This is a bit of who the Holy Spirit is, but it might also help us to get to know him more if we look at a few of the things that the Holy Spirit does. And Jesus describes for us many of the things the Holy Spirit does for us. I'm just going to look at a few, but if you want to go further with this, I'd encourage you to read John chapter 14 through 16, and just take a look at how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit and a bit of Jesus' passion for the Holy Spirit as you look through these passages. Again, Jesus is excited about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and so the night before he goes to the cross, he's gathered with his disciples, and he spends significant time talking about who the Holy Spirit is and what it is that the Holy Spirit will do. He says things like, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as being like a counselor, someone who guides us and directs us, someone who instructs us, but also someone who comforts our hearts and our minds and our souls and the wounds and the hardness and the intensity of life. Jesus describes this idea to his disciples. He says to them, it's actually better for you that I go, because if I go, the Holy Spirit will come to you. And again, I'm sure for the disciples that they were thinking, what could possibly be better than having Jesus himself physically, personally present with them? And Jesus is saying to them, it's actually better if I go. Because if I go, you won't just be able to see me physically present with you. You will have the very presence of God alive in your soul and in your being. Because with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God lives in and abides with and dwells in and with his people. Something unimaginable before this particular moment of time. We get to have God Almighty living right within us. And so it's not just someone from the outside explaining things to us or telling what we should do. It is the very presence of God within us, living in us, strengthening us, guiding us, empowering us, granting us the things that we need to walk faithfully with God in the abundance of what he calls us to do. This is the beautiful gift of the Spirit of God. Jesus goes on to say some more. He says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. This is a beautiful part of what the Holy Spirit does. He takes all the things of Jesus and makes them real, to not just to our minds, but he also makes them real to our hearts. He takes all things and he teaches them to our souls. He instructs us, he guides us, he directs us, he helps us to know what does it look like to really live for God, to follow him, and to walk with him well. Now, have you ever had that experience where you're reading the scripture and something just comes to life? Something just clicks in your mind and makes sense to you in a whole different way. It just applies to your particular situation in a way that you never imagined before. That's the movement of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit fulfilling this passage, taking the things of Jesus and making them real to us. That's the Holy Spirit instructing us and guiding us into all things. It's a magnificent work of God to continue to lead us and instruct us and guide us wherever we may be. This is the Holy Spirit making Jesus known to us. Jesus goes on to say, but he will convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And an essential part of what the Holy Spirit does for us is he brings this healthy kind of conviction. 
Again, when we step outside of what God is calling us to do and we step into sin, it's destructive and it's damaging. It produces all kinds of nasty things in us and through us. And so the Holy Spirit brings this life-giving conviction, that uncomfortable feeling where we know that we're not where we're supposed to be, that challenge to change or to grow or to make that apology to that person that we hurt or to shift our behavior or our attitude or our thoughts in this particular way. That's the movement of the Holy Spirit within us. The ways that he's leading us and guiding us towards life and goodness and truth because he doesn't want to leave us in things that are destructive and damaging. He doesn't just do this for us. He does this in the world. The passage reminds us, Jesus says, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And a part of what the Holy Spirit does is with people who don't yet know Jesus, he makes it clear to them that they need Jesus. He helps them to recognize what is real and what is true, what is right and what is wrong. He helps them to move past all of the lies of our culture that we are self-sufficient and that we need nothing and helps us to recognize the truth that we desperately need a Savior, that there is sin, that there is righteousness, and that there will be judgment. And he moves our souls forward towards relationship with Jesus. None of us could come into a relationship with Jesus without this movement of the Holy Spirit, making clear to our hearts and our minds that we have need of Christ and leading us towards the truth of who he is. It's a beautiful work that the Holy Spirit does. And if you're praying for people as I am in your life that you love who don't yet know Jesus, this is a really good thing to pray, that the Holy Spirit would make clear to their hearts and in their minds the truth of who Jesus is and their need for him. Again, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, helping us to know that we don't have to live the Christian life on our own. Again, God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and and a new spirit. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And this is what I missed. As I was growing up, this is what I missed about the Christian life. I kept thinking it was up to me to have the strength and the capacity and the ability to be holy and to do what was right and to follow everything that God was inviting me to do. But God speaks to his people and says, I will put my spirit in you, and it is my spirit who will lead you to follow my decrees, who will move you to obey me in the things that I'm calling you to do. It's not up to us, it's not up to our own strength, it's not up to our own capacity to be the people that God is calling us to be. It's about about inviting the movement and work of the Holy Spirit within us to sanctify us and to purify us, to strengthen us and to to be able to walk with God into the fullness of what he's calling us to do. He is the one who makes us holy, not our own efforts. It's a profoundly freeing experience to recognize that it's the Spirit of God who makes us holy. Our part is to pursue him and to follow him and to obey his promptings and his guidance and his direction. But he does the hard work within us of purifying us all the way down and through. And maybe most importantly, the Holy Spirit also speaks to us and affirms to us the truth of who we are in Jesus. The Apostle Paul says to us, For those of us who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are the children of God. You see, it's the Holy Spirit speaking this truth into our soul that sets us free from this belief or this feeling that God is a harsh master who demands so much of us. 
It's the movement of the Spirit within us who speaks the truth to our souls that sets us free from that feeling that if we mess up or if we don't get it right, that somehow God will shun us or push us aside. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't make us slaves to fear all over again. What the Holy Spirit does is He whispers into the core of our being, you are a child of God. This word Abba is a really familiar term. It's kind of like daddy. It's like crying out with a close kind of intimate relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit within us convinces us of this truth, that we're not fundamentally a disappointment to God, but primarily we are children of God who are profoundly loved. It's the Holy Spirit who speaks this truth into the core of our being, that He wants us, that He desires us, that He draws us close into intimacy with Him. As we recognize this truth, our hearts are moved to respond to God in profound love. He shifts us and changes us to be the kind of people who love God with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our being and who are capable of loving our neighbor the way that we love ourselves. Because again, as Ezekiel said, he takes our hearts of stone and reworks them into hearts of flesh. He gives a whole new capacity into us to live the life that God is inviting us into. And the Holy Spirit frees us from this unholy and this unhealthy fear of getting close to God because He empowers us to recognize that we are beloved children who are wanted and longed for by our Father. And also the Holy Spirit empowers us to fulfill the calling that God has given to us to be His agents and His ministers of the gospel. And next week we're going to talk all about this, what this means and what this looks like for us together. But today really this is just a snapshot of who the Holy Spirit is. I want to encourage you to let go of any potential fear that you have of the Holy Spirit. Even if this is a process, and even if it's just a slowly giving over part and part and part of yourself to Him to experience more and more and more of Him, because some of us can't do this all at once. But I want to encourage you to let go of your fear of getting close to God, the Holy Spirit. And again, for some of us, we are afraid to get close to God because of the sense of conviction. Because some of us recognize that maybe for a very long time, or maybe since yesterday, we've been trying to tune the voice of God out because He's convicting us about something. There's something in our life that is not exactly as God intends it to be, something that's not yet as it should be, and He wants to redeem it and to sanctify us and to set us free in this particular area. But maybe there's a step that He's calling us to take, and we're just afraid to do that. And so we're afraid to get close. Because we know that there's something not quite right. And if that's the space that you're in today, if this is the reason you feel afraid of the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you between now and communion to just take a few minutes with God and process this out and just set this right with Him. But for others of us, we're really afraid of the Holy Spirit because we have misunderstood who He is. For some of us, we're afraid to get close to the Holy Spirit and to really pursue more of Him because we believe that He's this kind of strange, uncontrollable part of God that's uber-mysterious and that we have no idea what's going to happen if we would happen to pursue more of Him. And again, it's just not true. The Holy Spirit will always act in consistent uh, nature with the character of Jesus and the Father. Maybe today you need to let go of that fear and believe the truth of who the Scriptures proclaim the Spirit to be. And for others of us, we're just really afraid to get close to the Holy Spirit because you're in that place that I talked about at the beginning. You're in that place where maybe for a long time you believe that it's up to you to be able to live the Christian life in your own strength. And you feel like as God sees you, He sees you as a disappointment. And you feel a profound sense of shame to try and get close to Him because you just realize you're not who you wish you were or who you believe that God is calling you to be. Maybe you're in that place where you're living all over again as a slave to fear, frightened that God will shun you or push you aside if you get one thing wrong. 
And some of us were so afraid to get close to the Holy Spirit because we believe that this is who He is. But for those of us who are wrestling in this particular place, what we most need is the voice of God through His Holy Spirit affirming to us the truth that we are children of God so that we can be empowered to pursue God and to walk with Him and to follow Him faithfully. And so this morning, is there some particular reason why you were afraid to get close to Him? What I want to encourage us to do today is two particular things as we engage with the next five weeks together. What I want to encourage all of us to do is every single day, as often as you can remember, I want to ask every one of us just to pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me with more of yourself? Would you take me deeper and move me closer to you? And maybe you need to set a reminder on your phone to remind you to do this every day or to write a note and put it on your mirror where you get ready in the morning or maybe you want to put it in your car so that you can think about praying for more of the Holy Spirit as you drive through road rage along the streets of Grand Prairie. Um, maybe particularly with the ice this week, you're going to need the reminder to be pursuing the Holy Spirit as you drive. Um, but again, I just want to encourage you every day that you can, just ask the Holy Spirit for more of himself and to fill you more. And the second thing that I want us to do today is to just take a moment and I want to ask you just to process with Jesus whatever reasons you may have for being frightened of the Holy Spirit. And so whatever those reasons might be, again, maybe you realize there's something he's asking you to do. Maybe you realize that you've misunderstood who the Holy Spirit is. Maybe, again, you just don't feel adequate and you feel afraid to get close to him. Just be open and honest with God. Let's just spend a few moments just processing with him where, whatever your fear of him might come from. And then whatever your fears might be, just ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to a right and a clear understanding of who he is or of what these issues are in the week to come. And then just take a moment and just ask him if there's anything that he wants to say to you today. 
Again, if you don't hear anything or sense any, don't feel any pressure. There's no pressure around this. Maybe you already have everything that you need, and maybe he'll show you something in the week to come. And if you hear anything condemning or shaming or anything like that, again, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. You can just push that off to the side. But I believe that for some of us today, there's something in particular that the Holy Spirit wants to say to us as we journey with him. So just ask if there's anything that he wants to say to you today. And this morning, it's this beautiful, fitting opportunity. We have the space today to engage together in communion. Because in communion, we come face to face with the love of God tangibly, this perfect love that dries out all of our unhealthy and all of our unholy fear. In communion, we get to see and to know and to taste the reality of the love of the Father who cares for you so passionately that he gave his one and his only son so that you could be redeemed and sanctified and set free. In communion, we get to experience the love of the Son who gave himself freely for us and proclaims the wonder of the kingdom of God. And in communion, we have this unique opportunity to experience the love of the Holy Spirit who makes all of these things real and clear to our hearts and guides us further into the truth. Again, this morning, I'd like to invite you to participate if you know Jesus and have a relationship with him. Again, if you're here today and you don't yet know God or have a relationship with him through Christ, we'd encourage you just to not participate in this this morning. And also, if you're here this morning and you know that you're living an act of rebellion against God, that you have no desire to pursue him further, I'd also encourage you not to participate this morning. But again, this isn't a table for perfect people. This is a table where we come acknowledging our needs, acknowledging our brokenness, and inviting God to fill us more and more with the truth of who he is, inviting the presence of his love to fill us and to lead us closer to himself. And so as we engage with communion this morning, let's engage with it as grateful people, profoundly grateful for the love of God that meets us in all of our circumstances, for the person of the Holy Spirit who fills us and leads us into all truth, who takes the things of Jesus and makes them real to us. So we're going to invite you once again to come uh, towards your right, down the aisle, and maybe as you come, maybe you want to just pray, Holy Spirit, would you take these things of Jesus and make them real to me? Jesus says to us, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, today we have this opportunity to know and to experience the love of God all over again because we forget so easily. So easily we get pulled into the lies of this world that our value and our worth are dependent upon our performance or on whatever other particular things, but we are invited once again to taste and to see that the Lord is good, to come face to face with the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to invite him to lead us further. And so as you're prepared and as you're ready, I'd like to encourage you to come forward to receive the elements. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to fill us afresh and anew. Would you lead us and guide us and direct us into the fullness of your truth? Would you empower us to live the life that you are calling us to live and to minister in the ways that you are inviting us to minister? Help us to walk forward faithfully with you. Free us from all unholy and unhealthy fear of your presence and inspire us to move faithfully forward with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.